You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. I've got a question for you this morning. What are you afraid of? And the other night, whenever we were cleaning up after the Wednesday night meal that we had for the youth, my boys were taking the trash out out behind the kitchen. And that little supply uh, shed that's right outside the kitchen doors, you know, it's dark and Brian comes running in, panting, <laughs> the little Batman head sticking up in the window, startled him. Pretty good, and uh, I got a good kick out of it. And the funny thing is, Brian's always the one kind of hiding behind the corner trying to scare me, but he's the one that got scared that night and kind of, well, not too seriously, but uh, he was breathing kind of hard. <laughs> he ran in as fast as he could until he realized what it actually was in the window, and it was just a little cardboard cut out. But I found it pretty humorous. What are you scared of? What starts making your heart pound? Uh, Some of the classics maybe are spiders, snakes, uh, creepy other creepy crawlies. Uh, Darkness is one, you know, from a very young age that maybe we get better at. But I have to say, even preaching in a dark church building, as I often do when I come up to record my sermons for the online service, it's a... Church buildings can be spooky places in the dark, and that fear of the dark kind of reinforces itself. But I think as we grow older, as we have families, our fears change. Maybe we get better at our fear of the dark or our fear of spiders, but new fears compound. Fears about the health and safety and uh, maturity of our children. Fears about a roof over our head or food on our plates. Fears about accomplishing the next required responsibility on our list of to-dos and not failing. That uh, really as adults, I don't know that we outgrow fears, we kind of just exchange them as we find new things to be afraid of and and feel the the combined weight of more and more responsibilities. And fear is a big subject in the Bible. Fear is a big subject in the book of Mark. And that's where we're at. And I hope that you're doing your readings along with the bulletin as we read through the gospel of Mark in these first few months here in the year 2021 and just diving into the life of Jesus. But fear is in a very important theme as we look at the gospel of Mark. And here in chapter four, we're gonna see it very prominently And we're going to see two takes on fear. And when it comes to emotions in Scripture, a lot of the time what we see is a pure emotion. What Scripture is emphasizing is the action. For instance, believing. Often whenever we hear the word believe, we might think of, well, that's what we do with our minds, and it is a mental exercise to believe something. But really... In Scripture, believing is acting upon that belief. It's trust. It's faith. Another word for belief in Scripture. It is acting on the assumption that that it is true and not withholding or doubting 
that it will happen. Uh, another word is love. You know, in Scripture, love is... There's an emotional aspect to it, but it's very much an action and what you do with it, how you show it, how you display it, and how you give it even when you don't feel like it, especially that love your enemy thing. And fear is kind of the same way. It's not just about getting nervous or scared. It's how you act. It's what your driving motivation which fear are you going to succumb to? What is fear going to keep you from doing? Now, that's the fear that really we have to worry about and the fear that Scripture deals with. As a matter of fact, as I was getting ready for this lesson, I was struck by Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Do not say conspiracy every time these people say the word. Don't be afraid of what scares them. Don't be terrified. So the people of Israel were talking about conspiracy theories. Imagine that. They've been around a while. And getting caught up in the political turmoil of their day. Again, sound familiar? And what God is telling Isaiah is don't be scared of them. But look at verse 13. You must recognize the authority of the Lord of heaven's armies. He is the one you must respect. He is the one you must fear. The Bible says a lot of times, do not be afraid. Um, there's this uh, saying, the sermon illustration, maybe, or meme, you know, it says it 365 times once for each day of the week of the year. I'm not found 365 times. Um, I don't know how they came up with that number, but it does repeat it quite a bit of times in several stories, especially. This, Moses is told that numerous times. Joshua, it's emphasized very much in the book of Joshua. Do not be afraid. I'm with you. And pretty much do not be afraid of these other nations. Do not be afraid of these other armies. Don't be afraid of these other gods and these idols of these other peoples. But very much in Scripture, it's kind of a hard... Uh, wrestle with, hard to understand and apply a notion of the fear of the Lord. That we don't just, again, operate out of fear. That's not why we do the things we do, but to have a healthy fear of the Lord, to have a healthy enough fear of the Lord that we don't do, that we don't act on the fears of other people. Uh, fears of other uncontrollable things in our lives, whether they be spiders or politics. Neither one of those should be what controls our minds and our hearts and our lives and our actions and our words. The fear of the Lord should. Because He's a whole lot more powerful. He is a... And that, and that fear can be a healthy fear. And we see that in Mark chapter 4. On that day, when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So after leaving the crowd, they took him along just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. Now a great windstorm developed, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was nearly swamped. But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we are about to die? 
They're afraid. And they're operating out of that fear. They're trying to do something about it. They're trying to address the situation. And one is to get Jesus to help. Wake up, Jesus. Come on, we need you right now. Things are bad. I mean, I don't know if they were exaggerating or not when they said, we might die. Their hearts are pounding. The fear was causing them, was binding them, holding them back, and in a healthy way, you might even say prompting them to action, because maybe they were grabbing buckets and scooping water out of the boat. Fear has its place, but their fear was not quite where it needed to be. Verse 39, so we got up and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, be quiet, calm down. Then the wind stopped and it was dead calm. And he said to them, why are you cowardly? Why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? Verse 41, don't miss it. Now they were overwhelmed with fear and said to one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. They were afraid of the storm, as most people would be in that situation, out in the boat and things are going bad and they're not certain they're gonna make it. That, that's an okay time to have your adrenaline kick in to feel a little bit of healthy fear, but and that fear was misplaced because something a whole lot more powerful than the storm was right there in the boat with them. And at the end of the story, after Jesus says, peace, be still, in King James, the disciples are really afraid now because they're starting to get a grasp of what power is in that boat. They were afraid of the storm before. Now they've got something more to be afraid of as they should fear Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus. They do. Doesn't mean that they aren't still going to follow Jesus. That's the beautiful thing about this passage. They stay in the boat. I mean, I wonder how many of them had the thought, I'm going to jump over and swim to shore. I'm getting out of here because this is just too much. I can handle the storm, but this guy... Who controls the wind and the waves? Not some ordinary guy, that's for sure. That's the realm of God himself. And so they're beginning to understand who this is. And maybe they wanted to bail, but they don't. In the midst of a more healthy fear, they at least say, I'm, I'm with this guy. I don't know where he's going, but I'm going with him because with him, I don't fear anything else, but I'll fear him and I'll fear being without him. And really, that's a healthy fear of the Lord, to fear being without him, a fear that we don't see in the next story. Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1, the very next passage. So they came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. Just as Jesus was getting out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came from the tombs and met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, 
for his hands and feet had often been bound with chains and shackles, but he had torn the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Each night and every day among the tombs and in the mountains, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is the kind of guy you would again naturally be afraid of. You'd give this cemetery and the tombs, you'd give it a wide berth. You wouldn't want much to do with this guy. And I would imagine he would have maybe caused a few people living in that town and that region to wonder, well, should we move? He's sending our property values down. Nobody wants to be around this guy. And maybe they're not afraid that he's going to kill them, but they're, he's disrupting their life. And again, as adults, sometimes that's the fear we fear more. I mean, just look at our political climate. Our fear of our life being turned on end, of our values being compromised, of our future being not quite so certain. Those are actual fears that many people have. And I imagine many people in this region had a some, um, some amount of fear for this crazy demon-possessed man. But when he saw Jesus, verse 6, from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. Then he cried out with a loud voice, Leave me alone, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. I implore you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him. Oddly, there's a conversation that ensues, and even a request that's granted. Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, My name is Legion, for we are many a man full of demonic spirits. He begged Jesus repeatedly not to send them out to the region. There on the hillside, a great herd of pigs was feeding, and the demonic spirits begged him, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. Jesus gave them permission. So the unclean spirits came out and went into the pigs, then the herd rushed down the steep slope into the lake, and about 2,000 were drowned in the lake. This brings up a whole lot of questions. Um, Jesus is having a conversation with unclean demonic spirits, and they even have the audacity to make a request. I mean, this is an enemy making a request of the, the, the king that can easily crush them. And the motivation behind it, hard to know. Uh, but one thing that comes out of this is, and we get a lens as to when the disciples were in the boat, their fear changed in a healthy way. It went from something external, the storm, and it went more wholly, completely into a trusting, more of a trust and dependence on Jesus. That's the way it's supposed to happen. That's healthy fear of God. This action is going to reveal what's lacking among the people that come to Jesus next because they're more afraid of that external. They're more afraid of the, 
the storm and the loss of their livelihood with the pigs and the town and the effect it's going to have than they are of Jesus. Let's keep reading. Now the herdsmen ran off and spread the news in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the one who had the legion. Notice again, they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demon-possessed man reported it, and they also told about the pigs. Then they, I would assume a large enough group of them, a majority of them, maybe all of them, they began to beg Jesus to leave their region. They have a fear of Jesus, but what they fear is what Jesus is going to cost them. What they fear is what they might lose. What they fear is even <laughs> a lack of what is known and comfortable for them. Because you know, I talked about how maybe they were afraid of this demon-possessed man. At the same time, I guess maybe they'd come to learn to live with it. I don't like, you know, those living in Tornado Alley just kind of learn to live with the tornado sirens every now and then. We know what to do. We know how to act. And uh, maybe our hearts pump a little bit, but it's where we are. And we know what happens. And we find ways to cope with it. They found ways to cope with this guy, but suddenly looking at a man more powerful than demons themselves, who can tell the demons where to go. And the demons have to get permission from him. That's scary. That's scarier than any demon-possessed man could be. And they take that fear, and their action is one of, just keep on moving. Just please leave. If you stay here much longer, our whole world will be turned upside down. Kind of like those fishermen who left their boats and their nets and everything and went to follow him. I mean, here's the thing about Jesus. We see in the Gospels and Gospel of Mark is showing us when you encounter Jesus, your life is going to be turned upside down. And that's scary. I don't care who you are. It, it can spark a healthy fear within you because suddenly the things you used to know and the things you used to think and, and, and believe that you had this control over are gone. And you realize you're nothing compared to this man who is God-made flesh, who can control the wind and the waves and demons have to do his bidding. That your world is going to turn upside down. And the disciples said, okay, but I'll turn it upside down and keep following him. I'm, gonna, I'm too afraid not to. That's a good fear. The people in the region of the Gerasenes, they wanted to get back to that safe, comfortable life that they had known. Even 
That crazy guy in the tomb is better than this. A man that threatens, in some ways, their livelihood. That threatens their assumption of how demons work. I mean, <laughs> attack your wallet and attack your preconceived values and notions. That'll start fights. Just look at our political world over taxes and ideologies. Jesus will turn your life on end. He's actually supposed to. And it's scary. But in your fear, put it in the right place. Like Isaiah tells us to. Like God told Isaiah to. You hear everybody afraid of what's going on around them. These conspiracies. And they're trying to make you afraid. Look to the one you should be afraid of. God himself. Now that's combined with love. We see maybe fear and love as polar opposites. And again, we kind of get that picture a little bit in the book of 1 John 2. And definitely fear should be the only driving force we have, not by a long shot. Love should be more and stronger and bigger. But a healthy fear, as your world turns upside down, a healthy fear that says, I am scared to death, but I'm more scared of losing my God, my Lord, and my Savior. Therefore, I'll keep following. And that's what the disciples did. That's what we're called to do.